This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so the picture of the Bible is God blowing out into man his breath his breath of life. The fact that Genesis 2-7 says the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul, the Hebrew word for breath there, breath is neshama, neshama, which means a puff. And that's why the Bible is called in 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Greek word they're used for inspiration is noustos. It's theonoustos, the inspiration from God. But the word inspiration is noustos, from which we get our word pneumatic, as in a pneumatic hammer, a pneumatic drill, meaning that it's driven by air, driven by air. So what 2 Timothy 3.16 is saying is that all scripture is by inspiration of God. It means that all scripture is driven by God's breath. It's driven by the breath from his lips, which again tells us that the Bible is God's kiss of life. So in verse 23, we see that Christ is now in the temple. He's in the temple now, and he's hungry He's in the temple, but the word of God is more important to him than food, so he's teaching. He's teaching in the temple. And Christ had said already in verse 13 above, he said, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer, he said. But what he's doing here is not praying, he's teaching. So from his teaching in the temple, we see that the temple was both a place of prayer and a place of teaching. Both teaching and prayer are the lifeblood of a church. That's the lifeblood of a church. The church, and in the church, teaching should not crowd out prayer. And in a church, prayer should not crowd out teaching because teaching and prayer are both 
the lifeblood of a church. And that's what the apostles said that they were going to give themselves to in Acts 6.4, Acts 6.4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word is teaching and preaching. You know, Billy Graham at his crusades, he would stand in the pulpit and he would teach and he would preach and he would give his message. And then at the end, he would invite the people to get up out of their seats and to come forward to the pulpit to receive Christ. And then he would not sit down, which most people did. He would not sit down. The classic picture of Billy Graham was of him remaining in the pulpit like this or like this, however he did it, you know, with his hands clasped and praying. And the temple was for teaching and prayer. And the church is for teaching and prayer. And when in the future, the temple in Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt, which it will be, and Jerusalem will become the capital of the world, then all the people of the world will come as tourists to Jerusalem. And when they do that, when they will do that, they will be saying the words of Isaiah 2.3, Isaiah 2.3. This will be the time of the fulfillment of Isaiah 2.3, where it says, and many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. That's the mountain that Jerusalem is built on. It's called Zion. The mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. That's the temple. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So when that happens, when that prophecy happens in Isaiah 2-3, tourists will not be coming to Israel because Tel Aviv is the gay capital of the world. When Isaiah 2-3 happens, tourists will not be coming to Israel to see the ancient sites of the Bible. When that happens, tourists will be coming to Israel, to Jerusalem, for what they are not coming there today for. When Isaiah 2-3 happens, tourists from all over the world will be coming to Israel, to the temple in Jerusalem, so that they can change their lives, so that they can walk with God. When Isaiah 2-3 happens, tourists from all over the world will be coming to the temple in Jerusalem to be taught. They'll be coming to receive teaching, to learn who is Jesus Christ as God, to learn what is the will of God for my life, to learn how can I change my life to walk with God, to learn how can I repent of my sins so that I can draw closer to God. That will be the drawing card for all the people of the world to come as tourists to Jerusalem. And they'll learn all of that in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem so that the scene we see here now in verse 23, where it says in verse 23, he was coming to the temple, he was teaching. That's just a little scene of what it's, a little foretaste of what Jerusalem, of what the temple, rebuilt temple, is gonna be in Isaiah 2-3 when it happens. Jerusalem will become the place that it is talked about in Psalm 48, Psalm 48, one through 10, where it says in Psalm 48, one through 10, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, 
on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. But before that happens, before that happens, where we are right now, it's a hold on to your hat time. Because Jerusalem, before Jerusalem becomes the Psalm 48-2, joy of the whole earth, we are in store for Jerusalem to become the exact opposite, for Jerusalem to become the Zechariah 12-2 Jerusalem. Zechariah 12-2, which says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the earth, people of the earth be gathered together against it. Psalm 48.2, the joy of the whole earth, where people will flock there to learn about God. First Jerusalem will become the Zechariah 12.2 and 3, cup of trembling unto all people and burdensome stone unto all people. Okay, now we are in uh, verse 23 here. And the start of this statement in verse 23, it looks so good. I mean, if you just kind of dream on a little bit, daydream and sort of cut the sentence where it says, and when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, and just cut it there, just cut it there. If we could just stop that sentence right there, right where it says said, and if we just kind of write it the way we would like it to sound, if we could just write the rest of the history ourselves, what would we write? I mean, when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him, and if only we could just write that they said the words of John 1.45. If this could be the way it was, where they came into the temple and they said, John 1.45, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. If only it could, could have said like that. If only it could have said, they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, we have found you, the Genesis 3.15 seed of the woman that's gonna crush the head of the serpent, the Satan. If only it could have be written and it said, they came unto him as he was teaching and said, we have found you, the Genesis 49.10, Shiloh, to whom all the people of God are gonna gather around. Just could have said that. They came up to him as he was teaching and they said, we found you, the Isaiah 7:14, Emmanuel, born of a virgin. If it could have said, they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, we found you, the Isaiah 9:6, child born, son given, whose name is the mighty God. If it could, just could have been written where it says they came unto him as he was teaching and he said, we found you the Isaiah 53, righteous servant who will be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, who will heal us with your wounds and who the Lord is gonna lay on you the iniquity of us all. But just could have read like that. If it just could have read like they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, we found you the Micah 5, 2, eternal ruler of Israel that's born in Bethlehem. If it just could have said something like, we found him, it was teaching it, and they said, we found him, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Any of those things, the history would have been so different if the ones who should have said those things because they were the chief priests, they were the elders of the people, the people were relying on them 
to tell them he is the Messiah, he is God. If they just would have done any of those we found you statements, or if it would have been like if they all came like Nicodemus came, and what if the record had centered just on them so the chief priests and the elders weren't necessarily telling other people, but they were just speaking personally about themselves, and they came to him with their own sense of their need and it was said something like, how about if we could write it and it said something like they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, John 3, 2, John 3, 2, what Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles as thou doest except God be with him. That's what Nicodemus said. Or what if they came to him and we could rewrite it and it said they came to him as he was teaching and they said the words of Acts 16.30, Acts 16.30, Sir, what must I do to be saved? As a Philippian jailer said. What if we could rewrite it? And it wrote, they came to him as he was teaching and they said, John 20, 28, John 20, 28. My Lord and my God, as Thomas did say to him. How about if we could rewrite it? And it would read, they came to him as he was teaching and they said, Mark 1, 24, Mark 1, 24. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God, as a devil said to him. How about if we could rewrite it and it said, they came unto him as he was teaching and they said the words of Mark 9, 24, Mark 9, 24, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, as a trembling father of a sick son said. How about if he could rewrite it and it said, came unto him as he was teaching and he said the words of Mark 2, 11, Mark 2, 11, they fell down and worshiped him and when they had opened their gifts, they presented him to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, as wise men did. How about if we could rewrite it and it said, they came at him as he was teaching and said, Matthew 8.2, Matthew 8.2, they worshiped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, as one leper did when he said that to him. How about if we could rewrite it and it said something like, they came unto him as he was teaching and said, Matthew 9.27, Matthew 9.27, thou son of David, have mercy on us, as two blind men had said to him in the past. How about if we could rewrite it and it said, they came unto him as he was teaching and said, Luke 23.42, Luke 23.42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, as a thief said, when that thief was dying on a cross next to him. How about we could rewrite it and it says, they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, Luke 19.8, Luke 19.8, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from a man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold, as a tax collector named Zacchaeus said to him. How about if we could rewrite it and it said, they came unto him as he was teaching and he said, Job 42.6, Job 42.6, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes as Job said. Or how about if we could rewrite it and it said, they came unto him as he was teaching and they said, Luke 5.8, Luke 5.8, falling down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord, as Simon Peter said to him. Or if we could just rewrite it from the very words of this chapter, and it read, they came unto him as he was teaching, and they said the words of verse 15, verse 15, Hosanna to the son of David, as the children were saying to him at that, the day before in the temple. Or how about if we could rewrite it, and it would say something like, they came to me as he was teaching and said, Job 10.8, Job 10.8, thine hands have made me and fashioned me. That's what Job said to him. That's what Job said. 
Well, it's daydreaming. Just daydreaming. It was dreaming. Didn't happen that way. Verse 23 is written totally differently. We want it to be read that way, but it's not. And all those statements were true. They were 100% true. And all those statements are what they should have said to him. But they did not say any of those things, and that was the tragedy. And instead, we have to sadly read what they actually did say and what the verse does read, which is verse 23, verse 23. When he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things and who gave thee this authority? They didn't come to him as he was teaching in the temple, falling down before him, worshiping him, confessing their sins to him, repenting before him, begging for him to have mercy. They didn't do any of that. They didn't come to him being the elders of the people. They should have been telling the people that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh, he was the Savior. Instead, they came as he was teaching, challenging his authority. Just the opposite of what they should have done and said. So when we see verse 23, we're reminded again that from the time of his birth, Jesus Christ was opposed. Whether he was as a baby, being opposed by a wild King Herod who ordered all the babies in Bethlehem to be murdered in an effort to kill him, or whether as a 12-year-old when he was in the temple challenging the doctors of the law with questions in Luke 2.46, Luke 2.46, when it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Or later, when he was accused by the religious leaders of being in league with Satan in Matthew 12, 24, Matthew 12, 24, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. So now, with just a few days for him to live before he's murdered, he's opposed in the temple by the religious leaders who are seen here challenging his authority. And Jesus said that to follow him is to be hated by the world. And it was not easy for Christ to have to maneuver in a world that hated him. And it's not easy for any of his followers to maneuver in a world, to bring the word of Christ to a world that hates Christ. And all this hatred and all this strife and all this contention, sometimes it can really get to you. And it really got to Jeremiah. It really got to the prophet Jeremiah who complained to his mother in Jeremiah 15.10, Jeremiah 15.10 where Jeremiah said, woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole world. I have neither lent on usury nor men have lent to me on usury, yet every one of them doth curse me. Jeremiah lived in a very sinful time in Israel's history, and therefore Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15.10 that he was a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth every one of them doth curse me. And we would say to Jeremiah, yes, Jeremiah, everyone curses you, Jeremiah, except for one, and that's God. Everyone curses Jeremiah, but God blesses Jeremiah. And what would you rather have, to be blessed by the world and cursed by God, or to be cursed by the world and blessed by God? That's what's on the line. Well, here is now Jesus in this chapter, and he is being cursed by the chief priests and the elders. And these are the two groups here. They're the chief priests and the elders are two groups of actual judges. They're actual judges in the two types of court that there were in Israel. There were two types of court. One court was for um, 
a religious ecclesiastical. It was for trying cases of blasphemy against God. Those were the chief priests who were the judges in that court. And there was another court which was for trying civil matters, and those were the elders of the people who were the judges in the civil court. But both those two groups of judges for those two types of courts have now joined together to oppose and challenge Jesus in verse 23. And they don't wait until he's finished teaching. They don't wait till they might take questions, which I never do, but anyway, right in the middle of his teaching, they interrupt him. There were people in the temple who wanted to hear him. They were glued to what the Lord was teaching. They'd never heard anything like this before. He was so different from the other teachers. There was never a teacher like him. Matthew 7, 28 came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings. The people were astonished at his doctrine. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. The chief priests and the elders knew that his authority was what astonished the people, and that's why they attacked his authority in verse 23 here. At one point in the past, the Pharisees had sent officers to arrest Jesus and to bring him to him for questioning. And they, the officers, when they went there, they were so captivated by what Jesus was saying that they returned and they said, we never heard anyone like this before. In John 7:45, Gen 7:45, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees and they said unto him, why have you not brought him? The officers said, never a man spake like this man. Then they answered the Pharisees, are you also deceived? When Jesus spoke, there was a distinctive assurance, there was a boldness that he had that where there was no tinge of uncertainty about what he said, like Pastor Jim used to always say, no doubt about it, he used to say that, no doubt about it. John 7, 25, then send some of them in Jerusalem, this he whom they seek to kill, but lo, he speaketh boldly, they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Luke 1947, Luke 1947, he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes, chief of the people, sought to destroy him and could not what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. That Greek word there for attentive to hear him is the word hung, hung. It means they hung on every word that Christ spoke. And the fact that they interrupted him in the middle of his teaching, it shows the chief priests were interested in blocking the people from hearing him as he taught. This is what he said to the lawyers. So the lawyers, he said in Matthew 23, 13, Matthew 23, 13, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, or rather to the scribes and Pharisees, sorry. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourself, neither suffer you them that are entering to go in. Christ is the only way to heaven. And when they stopped him from teaching, they were stopping others from entering into heaven. This is what he said to the lawyers, the lawyers in Luke 11:52, Luke 11:52. Woe unto you lawyers, you've taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves and them that were entering you hindered. The key of knowledge, he said, Christ is said to have be in Colossians 2:3, Colossians 2:3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the key of knowledge. Christ is a hidden treasure. Jesus Christ is a hidden treasure. For most people, they look at Jesus Christ and they don't see any treasures that are hid in him because they're hidden. They just see a religious figure like other religious figures. For most people, they look at Jesus Christ, they see a crucifix in a church and they're turned off. But Jesus Christ is a hidden treasure because in Jesus Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That means that Jesus Christ is the key of knowledge and when his enemies were interrupting him from teaching and silencing him, which they finally did when they murdered him, in taking him away, they were taking away the key of knowledge from the people. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.